Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. And so there are different types of stressors. And some stressors, when we're undernourished, as as I call it, when we're not eating enough or providing our body with our basic nutrient needs or rest needs or sunlight needs, some things that we might see as good in our culture, like exercise or pregnancy or breastfeeding can actually become extremely stressful on the body because these things take a, you know, we have to give and give and give and give. But if we're not receiving in return, eventually we're going to have a very empty cup. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Jessica, welcome to She. Hey, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. I love all that you share and all that you are doing to educate women when it comes to health and wellness and all the things that we're going to get into. But before we dig into that, I would love if you can just share a little bit of your background and a little bit of your health journey from struggling with conditions like PCOS and hypothyroidism to now working as a functional nutrition practitioner. Yeah, yeah. So I've had health problems as long as I can remember. You know, As a child, I had gut issues and, uh, you know, ear infections, just all, you know, I was never really well as a child. And then when I went through puberty, it really just hit me and my, my periods were all over the place. I was bleeding for weeks at a time. And so my mom did what she thought was best and took me to the doctor and they prescribed hormonal birth control. And that really started the cascade of where, well, where I am now. I always say it's, it's, everything happens for a reason. And so I was on hormonal birth control from 14 or 15 up until I was 18 or 19. And um, when I went off, it really, everything hit the fan. And uh, my health went downhill very quickly, started gaining lots of weight, had skin problems, inflammation. I started having a lot of autoimmune type symptoms. My hair was falling out. My moods were crazy. My periods were crazy. And I didn't know what was going on at the time. I had no idea. I was starting to get interested in, in health. I was already very into fitness. And then I started going to the doctors and doing the, the jump around. And most people listening or most of the women listening have probably experienced some something like this where you know something's wrong, you go to the doctor, uh, usually it's a normal doctor and they say, nothing's wrong, you're fine, mm-hmm. you know, go on birth control or go on metformin or whatever Your it might be. Your hormones look good, they drew one yeah. blood, blood test and yeah. <laughs> right, like everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, I started going to functional medicine doctors and more holistic medicine doctors because that's what you kind of do. That's kind of the path. And 
I went from doctor to doctor to doctor. And really, you know, it was just going from, you know, running expensive tests to expensive tests, to expensive tests, expensive mm-hmm. supplement to supplement, you know, telling me I have all oh, these things wrong with me. I have PCOS and lupus and Hashimoto's and celiac disease and I have MTHFR and I have food sensitivities and I have this and that. And it never really got me anywhere. You know, every time I would go on, jump onto one train, I would get a little bit better and then I wouldn't and I would feel worse. And so then I would jump to the next and it would be like, what's wrong with me now? And I got really sucked into the rabbit hole of like chronic illness and just feeling like something was wrong with me and something was broken and I needed to fix it. And so... I started researching on my own. I started to you know, get very interested in hormonal health and health in general and helping women. And so I started, you know, I went and became a, a health coach and then I went and became a nutritionist and that really started me on the path I am today. And um, as time has gone on, my work has really morphed from talking about just basic health and wellness to really speaking to women and helping them really learn their, their physiology mm-hmm. and how their biology works and what they really need to do to meet their body these basic needs because in the world today what is prioritized and what is glorified does not meet up with the female body it is, it is uh, actually against mm. the female body and it works against against her yeah I mean well first of all thank you for sharing that story I can relate so much I feel like there's so many similarities and I also kind of went down the rabbit hole of functional medica- medicine and I think there's benefits of that but I also kind of found myself feeling like I was just getting a bunch of answers and supplements but not like what do I do about it from like a a whole perspective? And I'm glad that you pointed that out to you, like so many of the things, and I'd love if you can give an example, because you said so many of the things that are kind of glorified nowadays are not really for the female body, not beneficial to the female body. Do you mean in the health and wellness space or do you mean in culture or both? I mean, both. So, you know, in culture right now, we live in a very, I kind of separate it between masculine and feminine Mm -hmm. attributes. We live in a very masculine dominated culture where, Mm -hmm. you know, hustle and pushing and pushing your body and forcing and Mm -hmm. um, action and always moving forward and always focusing on the next goal Mm -hmm. ahead and always, you know, fast paced living and filling your schedule and productivity is very much glorified. Mm -hmm. And the female body and the feminine physiology really works in a very slow basis. Um, We are, we are sick and dynamic. So no day of our cycle is the same, Mm -hmm. which means no day of our motivation or our ability to, you know, our, our, I guess I say like our max out place Mm -hmm. where we max out on energy. No day is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And we have to really learn to flow. And what happens is when we try to stick ourselves in this masculine structure where it's like, you know, masculine physiology is a 24 hour cycle. So Mm -hmm. every day it resets, the testosterone rises in the morning with the sun Mm -hmm. and decreases over the course of the day. And then it resets the next day. So it's a very steady and structured physiology. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see masculine energy really moves in that direction. You can see that in nature and, and throughout the Bible, you know, God really highlights both Mm -hmm. attributes and, and it makes a whole and what, what can happen is when women stick themselves and sometimes unknowingly, because it's so easy nowadays, you know, society is so stuck in that, in that mm-hmm. constant state, we kind of feel like our attributes are weaker or not as productive. And so what can happen is we, we really fight our need to flow. We fight our need to be different every day. We try to fit ourselves into a structured way of being and it just doesn't work for us and it causes more stress. You know, we put expectations on ourselves and and oftentimes, you know, women are type A, we're perfectionists and it's because of this, you know, we really have the inability or we've gotten to a place where we do not have the flexibility to let go and surrender 
surrender and trust and be in the present moment and just understand that things are going to work out how they're going to work out. We don't have to white knuckle grip our way through life. So that's one side of it. And then the health and wellness industry kind of follows because society is really stuck in this glorification of the masculine. And so health and wellness is, is treated similar, right? Rules. It's all about the physical. It's all about, you know, the, the diet and the supplements you take. And it has nothing to do with your emotions. It has nothing to do with how you're approaching things. And we often stick ourselves into these like dieting structures where it's very rule-based. It's very structured. It's a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, we have to win, right? Mm -hmm. It's a place that we're going to get to. Like, it's like this pinnacle that we're going to arrive to rather than just a state of being. Mm -hmm. And it really, it just works against us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women don't even realize it because it's just so prevalent. It's just Mm -hmm. what is normal. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I'm so thankful that you kind of broke that down because I feel like I've observed that a lot and just read a lot about this and even just following your work and others. It's something that I think needs to be brought to light a lot more because we do just kind of accept the normal as, well, this is what I'm supposed to fit into. But it's like, is that actually benefiting us? And I think that's an important question to be asking. So I'm thankful that you kind of broke that down a little bit. Going back to some of your your journey, I'd be curious. I want to kind of, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I want to talk about something you mentioned because you said you kind of went down the path of functional doctors and testing and supplements and how you did, you know, restrictive diets and all that kind of stuff. I know you've shared about that before, but I know you've also shared that at some point you decided to go kind of back to the basics. Can you kind of expound on that and share what you learned and what are some of the pillars of the most important things that we can do to support and heal our metabolism? I know that's a really key part of what you share about. Yeah. So I want to clarify for everyone, I'm not against doctors and I'm not against, you know, using their expertise when, when it's needed. But I just always remind women that they work for you. You do not work for them. And every doctor is a human being and they are going to have their own biases, their own experiences that are going to leach into their work. And a lot of them are taught a structure in medical school where it's just you diagnose, right? You run the test, you diagnose, and then you, you know, you prescribe and that's how you treat. Mm -hmm. And so we often see that functional doctors or holistic doctors, a lot of them, not all of them, will follow that same model just in a different way. So instead of prescribing medication, they just prescribe supplements or they prescribe a diet or they prescribe a lifestyle and they have a really hard time bringing themselves out of that structure. And unfortunately, that's just not how the body works. The body's not like, oh yeah, that's what I was asking for, a restrictive diet and a bunch of supplements made in a lab. Like that's that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So when our body is speaking to us, Um, and communicating to us through symptoms, which is what that is, it's our job to listen. And lab tests can help us listen. Advice can help us listen. But at the end of the day, we really have to understand how our physiology functions and how to support our basic needs on a day-to-day basis. And when you don't do that, no amount of supplements, no amount of expensive lab tests, no amount of intravenous therapies, no amount of sauna therapy, no amount of any of that stuff is going to make a big difference. If you're basically on a day-to-day basis, not getting your nutrient needs met, you're not eating enough calories, you're not uh, giving your body the basic rest it's asking for prioritizing your sleep, getting sunshine. These are all basic needs that the body needs to function. Not like things that are just, oh, that that would be nice to get some sun once in a while. These are needs. And I know our society is so at war with our biology right now. You know, we live inside a lot. We, you know, spend so much time in front of the computer now and screens now. and, And we spend, you know, nine to 12 hours working every day. 
but that is actually not how the human body was designed to live. And even though it's normal, it's not, or what we see as normal, it's not normal to the body. And so we're kind of at war. We're not meeting our body's basic needs nowadays, especially as females where the the commodity of our body is energy. Mm -hmm. And as master receivers, we need to receive a lot of energy to be able to co-create with the creator of the universe, Mm -hmm. whether that's procreate, what, you know, we, we have that amazing ability to create life but we also have this ability to create. We, uh, we, we create businesses, we can create art, we create so many different things. But at the end of the day, the commodity that drives that is energy. And we, as, as women with special physiology, need to receive a lot of energy to be able to create life, whether that's through you know reproduction or through the other creations that we do. And it, that's a really important part. So that's, you know, that brings us to the metabolism where the commodity of the body is energy. And if we're not using energy well, or we're not getting enough energy, or we're giving more energy than we're receiving, we're going to find ourselves in a really imbalanced place. Mm-hmm. And all symptoms are diseases is really a place of just deep imbalance. And uh, you're, you're really out of alignment mm-hmm. with what your body needs and how it was designed to live. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting the way that you referred to that because I think you're right. Like energy really is the commodity, but we settle, I guess. I don't know if settle is the right word, but we kind of look to all these other things to make us better, if you will. Right. Whether right. that's a supplement, a, a treatment. And not that there's anything wrong with those necessarily, but I think we can get so focused on those that we miss the bigger picture that you just kind of explained. Um, right. It's wild. Yeah. Kind of following up on that, I'd be curious if you can share this because, you know, you touched on the energy exchange and how key that is. And also understanding, I mean, I know, I know you share a lot about metabolic health and you also mentioned that you have struggled personally with thyroid issues. And I think this is super common. Do you see this with a lot of women that you work with that like thyroid issues are becoming, it's just seems like it's so common now among young women. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think that it's a driver because I had both hypothyroidism Mm -hmm. and PCOS, but a lot of my symptoms were based on this low energy state. What a lot of women don't realize is, you know, we were talking about this overarching energy, but now we're getting into the nitty gritty of the thyroid is that small little fatty tissue gland that really helps drive energy in the body. And the way it does that is it creates a hormone called T4, which is primarily inactive in a lot of ways. And then that hormone goes into the bloodstream and goes mainly to the liver, but also to the gut and some other tissues to get converted into our active thyroid hormone T3. And that T3 actually helps the cell receive glucose or receive energy. So glucose is our energy source. Mm -hmm. And when the cells start to receive energy, it means that they can do their jobs well. The mitochondria can function, everything can function. And that includes the cells of our ovaries, that includes the cells of our fallopian tubes, our uterus, our adrenal glands, our gut, everything. So when we start to chase, you know, the adrenals on the gut and the reproductive tract and all these different things, we're kind of forgetting that we need to make sure that all these tissues are getting the energy they need on a basic level. And, and that's really the importance of the thyroid is the thyroid really drives that energy source. It's, it's, you know, it's often referred to as a thermostat of the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. And that's, that's why I wanted to ask about it because the way that that is so connected to metabolic health is so fascinating to me. And I feel like you did just kind of explain it, but can you give us like a quick spark notes of like, here's the connection between thyroid and metabolic health, because I want to dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So your metabolism as a whole is really just the way that you utilize energy and a and a poor metabolic state or hypometabolic state would be that you're you're not utilizing your energy very well and you're having to rely on other sources of energy. And so this primarily is going to be the energy 
that is stimulated by the adrenal glands, adrenaline or cortisol. You know, we've all felt that state where you just, you, you're stressed out and you just check out of your body mm-hmm. and your body's just kind of on its own path. And mm-hmm. that can mean that your body temperature goes up or down. It can mean that your digestive health really plummets. You know, maybe, you know, some people get the runs or some people get really constipated or they're clenching in their stomach. They lose their appetite. Mm-hmm. And these are all signs that the metabolism is starting to underfunction and the body's having to rely more and more on the adrenal hormones to create energy. And there are bad ways and good ways to create energy. And a lot of people, you know, this goes back to that kind of women are constantly stuck in the state of doing, 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 doing. Mm-hmm. And that is part of it. It's that they're relying on their adrenal glands to get them through life rather than taking a step back and sitting down and fueling themselves well and nourishing themselves well and slowing down and getting their cells what it what they need in order to actually optimally function. So your metabolism as a whole is really just you know the way that your body utilizes energy and how it prioritizes energy. And when you're stuck in a state of survival, running on adrenal hormones to function, your body is going to prioritize a state of survival. So your blood flow is going to go to your muscles. You're going to start to maybe lose your hair. Your mood is going to go down. Your mental clarity is going to go down because your body's using glucose and pulling it away from the brain. You're going to see a lot of different things happen. And over time, your your body's going to really start to see the the process of breakdown. Mm -hmm. And then when your body's out of that state, metabolism is going to drive cellular repair and muscular growth and, and skin health and, um, you know, liver health and digestive health. So it's, it's really just a prioritization of energy and metabolism really refers to how is your body using that energy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to ask about that. Cause you had mentioned the energy part of the conversation before, and I wanted to dig into the thyroid a little bit because just understanding the connection between those two things is so key. And I know some people have referred to the thyroid as like the third ovary. Have you heard that term before? Yeah. Can you explain what that yeah. means a little bit? Like, why do they say that? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times they're referring to, there's some studies that Dr. Ray Pete was referred to in, in a few of his articles or some of his work. And he was talking about how when the thyroid is not functioning well or functioning optimally, the ovaries and the reproductive tract really are not going to be at their optimal and they're going to have a problem. And one thing that women have to remember is it's not just about what's in the bloodstream. So I talked about earlier about how T4 converts into T3. And the problem with this is it's also about cellular sensitivity to the hormone. So when when you have a hormone in the bloodstream, that's great and all, but you don't that doesn't actually tell you how the cells are receiving it. And so there are many women who have kind of subclinical thyroid issues where because thyroid issues didn't used to get diagnosed with blood tests. Um, It actually got diagnosed by using something called the Achilles tendon reflex, which is on the back of your ankle. And then also through temperatures and pulses and and other markers like, you know, your skin health, your hair health, and also your, the shape of your face. Mm -hmm. So, now, you know, it's primarily diagnosed through blood tests and sometimes the wrong blood test, which mm-hmm. is TSH, which is actually a pituitary hormone. Mm-hmm. And what happens is women don't realize that they're subclinically hypothyroid. They might have normal levels of thyroid hormone in the blood or even excessive levels of thyroid hormone in the blood. However, their cells themselves are not receiving it. And therefore it goes back to that that energy issue. Mm-hmm. And when we have sub, you know, subclinical thyroid issues or we're not utilizing thyroid hormone well, it doesn't only affect our blood sugar and our energy production, but it also affects our ability to, to ovulate well mm-hmm. and make that progesterone. And so it often results in us becoming very estrogen dominant and progesterone deficient mm-hmm. because reproduction and ovulation is 
everything. It is a spark of life, which means it requires a huge amount of energy. And when we don't use energy well, it's very difficult to ovulate or ovulate well where we're producing enough progesterone to balance out the excessive amounts of estrogen in our body. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I mean, I, I just for those who are listening, I'm like, do you see kind of like, it's almost like the chain reaction, you know? And it's like- yep understanding like what is really at the foundation of all of these issues, because I think we want to go, oh, it's like a blood test or whatever, but kind of the understanding the bigger picture of not only the metabolic health and how that impacts your energy and everything else, but also how something like your thyroid can impact your ovulation, your hormonal balance, like so many different functions in your body. And that alone is directly like to connected to your metabolic health. Like that's why all of this is so important. And the more you understand it, the, I think simpler it becomes, but even though it can feel a little bit overwhelming at first, yeah. but kind of on that same note, I know that you've said that the thyroid hormone is built from protein. And I think this is helpful for people to understand because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of different thyroid hormones. There's a lot of thyroid tests that can be, like you said, inaccurate or unhelpful if they're not done completely and appropriately, but understanding even how to support thyroid hormone, I think is really key. So can you dig into what that means yeah. and how that knowledge can inform even just how we nourish ourselves. Yeah. So a lot of steroidal hormones are made from fat or cholesterol. And so that's why it's so important for us to be getting the right types of fats in our diet. The interesting thing about thyroid hormone is that it's it's one of the only hormones that protein is required to make it. Mm. And that's why protein is such an important and fundamental part of supporting your metabolism. The thyroid, yes, these other nutrients such as selenium and iodine and zinc and copper and all of that good stuff. But at the end of the day, if we are not eating enough protein, we are going to have a very difficult time making thyroid hormone in the first place. And then the liver requires a lot of protein to be able to convert T4 into T3. Mm -hmm. And so if we are not eating enough dietary protein, we're going to see our our health and happiness plummet extremely. Mm -hmm. And that actually will uh, get worse and worse as we age because our protein synthesis goes down every decade. So, Mm -hmm. you know, by the time we're 40, our protein synthesis is way down compared to when we were 25 or 30. And Mm so, you know, getting enough protein, especially from the right sources, which I say bioavailable sources Mm -hmm. such as animal proteins is essential for thyroid health, but also just for overall anti-aging, keeping our hair in a good condition, keeping our skin in good condition, our gut in good condition. Proteins are essential to utilize energy well. Yeah. How do you respond or what are your thoughts when someone, you know, hears about animal protein and they say, but doesn't that throw off your hormones? Isn't that terrible? I mean, I have my own thoughts, but I'm just this random (laughs) curveball, but I'm just curious how you respond to that because I think that that is a common hesitation or resistance for people who are afraid to eat too much red meat or you know chicken or whatever. Right, right. So I think like the health and wellness world, I also, I usually refer to it as a sick game of telephone because it's like one of those things where, you know, one research study will come out and say, this may happen when this happens. And then somebody will take that and say, this does happen. And then somebody will hear them say that and say, oh, this does happen. And it kind of like gets blown out of proportion. But at the end of the day, when you look at just a traditional diet, a traditional diet, there, there was no, you know, pea protein from whole foods. There was no, you know, vegan protein powder available. Um, yeah, maybe there is rice and beans, but that's usually, if you look at most traditional diets, things like legumes and grains are used as a side dish and always paired with either animal fat or animal meat. Mm-hmm. And so really looking at most traditional diets is that there's always a wide variety of animal foods incorporated in most diets. And yes, there are the exceptions, you know, people will bring up the Inuits and people will bring up, you know, like certain, you know, studies that are, are done in 
Eastern Asia. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you look at most traditional diets, Mm -hmm. they're going to all have some type of animal food, some type of dairy or fermented dairy, some type of organ meat dish, Mm -hmm. some type of meat dish, animal fats are incorporated. Like you're going to just see that for for thousands of years. That has been the way it has been. Mm -hmm. And our bodies haven't changed since. And so when people say that those things are bad, it's usually either because they're sourcing it improperly. Mm -hmm. You know, animals are treated very poorly nowadays and we're built on this system of just high production right now. And so quality has been sacrificed in order to produce quantity. And in doing that, the way that God created the world to be, it has been broken. And so, yeah, I would say that factory farmed meat is probably not the best for you, but I still think it's better and more nutrient dense than not eating it. And so I think when you look at how animals take in the environment and take in nature, you know, ruminant animals eat a bunch of grass. And if they're eating their their native diet, they're going to take a huge amount of nature, a huge amount of plant food and condense it into their tissues in a nutrient dense form that we can consume, easily break down and easily digest. So that's kind of how I look at it. I'm thankful you broke that down and also kind of explained the difference because I think where a lot of the issues come from, like you said, is kind of factory farm, conventionally farmed meat. And like you said, I like that's still probably better than not getting any kind of protein or nutrients in. Is it the optimal way to eat meat? Maybe not, but is it better than nothing? Yes. You know, and I think exactly. helping us understand that is really, really helpful and, and hopefully encouraging to anyone who might have some hesitations around that. Have you ever wanted to live a little bit more of a natural and holistic lifestyle for the sake of your well-being and your family's well-being, as well as to be a little bit more self-sustaining, but just felt really confused on where to start, especially if you can't just like up and move to a farm tomorrow? Look, when I first started my holistic wellness journey, I remember I felt so overwhelmed. There's so much information all over the internet nowadays, and it's so hard to discern and to know which brands are truly clean and how do I source food locally and where do I even begin with all this stuff, especially if I have a busy life and I live maybe in an apartment or a suburban life or I just don't have like goats in my backyard to go milk, you know, like how how do I do this? And, um, it can be really overwhelming. So what I did is I wanted to take the guesswork out of it for you because I think one of the biggest things that holds so many of us back is not only the financial side of it and the worry that it's going to be more expensive, but also the time. Most of us don't have months or years to invest in researching and reading labels and figuring out how to do that and doing all this research on our own. So we just don't and we kind of get stuck. So what I wanted to do is create a quick start guide for you. And it's called the Lifestyle Overhaul Guide. It is a step-by-step quick start guide to living a more natural and sustainable life. And it is laid out in a step-by-step format. It covers everything from budgeting for these changes to really reducing stress and creating a more sustainable schedule and lifestyle in terms of your time to cleaning up the products in your home and reducing your toxin burden, how to really start with that and what to prioritize and how to do that in a budget-friendly way to sourcing more food locally, shortening your supply chain, being less reliant on the grocery store and big food systems, and starting to really use the resources in your local community. I'm giving you all the best resources on how to find those things, how to source those things, and how to get started right where you are. So if that sounds like something you need, you can tap the link in the show notes on this episode, or just go to jordanleedooley.com slash lifestyle dash overhaul to check out all the details and grab yourself a copy. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. 
Visit caron.org slash lost. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for- one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients, and it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. In that same vein of thyroid health, I'm just, I'm really wanting to hammer this home because I know this is a topic so many women have wondered about, and I know it's something you've struggled with. It's something I've struggled with. And I'd be curious what role stress has on thyroid health and what are examples of stressors on the body? Because, you know, we can talk about it from like a food perspective all day long, but going back to kind of the energy and metabolic health conversation, I know stressors are also such a huge factor that can impact those things and those functions. So can we just dig into what role stress has on thyroid health and what are some examples of stressors on that? 
Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I'm just going to, for your listeners, I'm going to break down what stress is. Cause I think sometimes yeah, we use the word idea. stress, 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 stress. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm not that stressed, right, you know? Right. And so stress is anything that puts you into a state where you have to use more nutrients than you're intaking, or you're using excessive nutrients or minerals or sugar. And we can often feel this, right? So like a, a, an inherently stressful situation, let's say you're driving down the road and somebody tr- tries to cut you off and almost hits your car and you have to swerve out of the way. Mm-hmm. That's like that immediate heart drop, adrenaline inducing like <gasps> stress. Mm-hmm. But then there's this kind of chronic stress where women are putting themselves in a, maybe an unknowing state or knowingly doing it where they're just kind of chronically under eating their, and their energy expense is very high. So let's say they're breastfeeding or they're pregnant or they're exercising like crazy, or they're working a super stressful job that pulls a lot of, a lot out of them, or they're living in toxic environments, whether that be toxic relationships, they're saying yes to people who deserve a no. They're constantly putting other people before their, themselves and their own needs and they're just not meeting their basic needs of rest and sleep and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And this is a chronic state of stress. Mm -hmm. And stress is anything that is expensive for the body. That's how I kind of try to break it down or look at it. And so there are different types of stressors. And some stressors, when we're undernourished, as as I call it, when we're not eating enough or providing our body with our basic nutrient needs or rest needs or sunlight needs, some things that we might see as good in our culture, like exercise or pregnancy or breastfeeding can actually become extremely stressful on the body because these things take a, you know, we have to give and give and give and give, Mm -hmm. but if we're not receiving in return, eventually we're going to have a very empty cup. Mm -hmm. And so I always really like to bring up that a lot of times women's stress, you know, especially when they start to become more aware of stress and how things feel in their body, they'll maybe eliminate their toxic job or Mm -hmm. they'll leave their toxic relationship, or maybe they'll um, get out of their moldy home or whatever it might be. But internally, their body is still under attack by themselves. So when you're constantly pushing yourselves beyond your abilities, holding yourself to really high expectations, if you're a perfectionist and you, you are constantly trying to get things more and more perfect, if you're pushing your body beyond its limits, if you're, you, if you glorify productivity and you just are constantly in this place of needing to be productive and constantly doing tasks and constantly doing, 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 and you can't just sit and be, or you can't just sit and rest without feeling guilty or ashamed or beating yourself up, that is also stress. So you could be completely stoic and sitting on the couch watching Netflix and Mm -hmm. still be in a chronic state of stress because of your internal talking. And so it's very, that's probably the biggest one for women. Honestly, Mm -hmm. we take on, and this usually stems from childhood trauma. You know, we take on our environment. We're very, as as females, we're very sensitive to energy. We're very sensitive to emotions. Mm -hmm. We're very sensitive to feelings. And depending on our personality, a lot of us learn at a young age to kind of shift ourselves or turn ourselves into what we need to be in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And as a child, that's what we needed to do to survive. But we sometimes carry that into an into adulthood Mm -hmm. where we people please our way out of situations or we flee from situations or internally we beat ourselves up Mm -hmm. and that does not serve us. And that's going to just destroy our metabolism. And if anybody is already following a pro metabolic diet or supporting their metabolism in any way, and they can't find success, Mm -hmm. this is usually why it's because they're holding themselves to just unrealistic standards, trying to be perfect all the time, Mm -hmm. trying, you know, and, and really pushing themselves in places that they don't need to be pushed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so thankful that you brought up that part of it because I think we can understand that like 
Overexercising is a stressor, right? Like a toxic work yeah. environment, like these external things are stressors. But I think we forget that there's this whole internal situation going on and we can eliminate all the external stressors all we want. We could be chilling in terms of like what we're actually physically doing and still be running on such high cortisol and so stressed because right. of the the lack of peace internally because of the right. beating yourself up internally because of the need to do something, the the struggling to sit and actually fully rest and be, and be present. And I think that's a learned skill to be honest. Oh, oh um, for sure. But I think leaning into trying to learn that and to implementing that does support our, our health in ways that we don't even realize. Right. So right. Yeah, I'm thankful that you shared that. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, sorry, I didn't answer the, the full question no, on how good. stress affects thyroid hormone, but when we are in these constant states of stress, whether it's like kind of that chronic underlying or these, because of our, of where we're at internally, we also put a lot of extra stress on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Whether we're in those two states, what can happen is as adrenaline raises and as cortisol raises it, it requires us to burn through more nutrients, including minerals like iodine and selenium and magnesium. And these minerals are needed for thyroid function. But then on the flip side, it also requires us to burn through more glucose and burn through more protein. And if we're not supporting ourselves in that way, which most of the time when we're under stress, let's be honest, we're not, mm -hmm. we're not giving our body what it needs. What can happen is we start to break down our own tissue. Mm -hmm. And so the protein requirements are very, very high as well. And this suppresses thyroid function because as adrenaline rises and cortisol rises, estrogen will usually, usually rise in the tissues. Mm -hmm. And this comes at the expense of our, our creation of progesterone because we oftentimes when we're under high amounts of stress, we will not ovulate well. At, or ovulate at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, this will lead to an estrogen and progesterone imbalance. And then it will also suppress thyroid function and our, our body's not going to be able to use energy as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. It's like, <laughs> I think it's so, it's so, I love getting to dig into the actual functions because you hear like stress can affect your health, but then understanding like why and how right. is so <laughs> eye-opening. So thank you for explaining that. Okay. Sure. Speaking of that, I want to know just, I don't know if this is, this is a really big question, so I'm not suggesting that you answer all of it, but yeah. you talked about cycles. You talked about the hormones, the balance, all of the things, but you've also mentioned the pro-metabolic diet or the pro, I don't like the word diet, the pro-metabolic yeah. approach yeah. to life. That's ultimately just, it comes down to like proper nourishment is how I would describe it. But yes, can we just talk about how proper nourishment affects our cycle? Because I think thyroid and cycle are so connected, obviously, as is metabolic health and all of these components. So when it comes to nourishment, like how does that affect our cycle? And I want to kind of pair that with a two-part question because I think what we mentioned before was this whole thing on supplements and food and all of that. And I just want to touch on nourishment and why it's important to, to not just rely on supplements, but really to truly get the nutrition you need. Right, right. Yeah. So I discovered the work of a doctor named Dr. Katherine Adalton uh, um, a few years ago, a few years back, and she is referred to as the mother of PMS. And I, I figure that this is probably most of your listeners are, are women and so that they would appreciate that she was one of the one of the first female doctors and she she went to medical school in a time where it was probably a whole class of men mm -hmm. and she was looked down upon for not probably being able to be a good doctor mm -hmm. and she started to advocate for women as she pra 
practice, she started to realize, and this was in the time of like the 50s, 60s housewives, where they would, you know, they were baking and cooking and doing all the kid things all day long. Mm -hmm. And they were often running off of nothing. They were drinking Coca-Cola, maybe Mm -hmm. they were, uh, it was a, it was a time where uh, drugs were huge. You know, they they would uh, rely very heavily on uppers and downers. Mm -hmm. And because they wanted to say that like very slim figure. And she had a lot of people or women coming to her that were having these horrible period pains, things like endometriosis and preeclampsia in, during their pregnancy, pregnancy complications. And so she really started to study progesterone and estrogen and how hormones are affected. And she came up with this diet, which she called the three-hour starch diet. And what she found was that when women were taking progesterone, even if they were being supplemented progesterone when they needed it, they were not responding to it well if their adrenaline was high. It would actually affect the high adrenaline and cortisol would affect how the cells received progesterone. And so when they ate every couple of hours, this issue went away. And because eating every couple of hours, a little bit of carbohydrate paired with some protein Mm -hmm. keeps stress hormones down because the body does not have to produce them to create blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And so when you kind of replace the adrenals job of creating blood sugar Mm -hmm. and you help the liver not have to keep blood sugar stable Mm -hmm. by just eating every couple of hours, it helps the cells receive progesterone better. Mm -hmm. And this overarching (laughs) issue is why most women and have period issues and cycle issues to this day is because they're either not ovulating because of their stress or they're not ovulating well, what I was, what I call it, where maybe they're ovulating, but they're not making a lot of progesterone. Their luteal phase is very, very short. Um, and then they're having horrible ovulation symptoms where when that's when estrogen is rising and there's no progesterone to balance it out or in their luteal phase, they're having really horrible PMS right before their period starts, or they're having intraperiod you know, symptoms as well. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, every cycle, we have this ability to create some progesterone in the second half of our cycle. The, it, there's a gland called the corpus luteum that mm-hmm. gets started after we ovulate and starts making progesterone. And this progesterone really helps balance out estrogen and should be the dominant hormone in the second half of the cycle. But the problem is, is when women don't make enough progesterone or aren't making any at all, estrogen continues to stay the dominant hormone of the second half of the cycle. And then I call it the rollover effect where you go into the next cycle a little bit more estrogen dominant than you were before. Mm -hmm. Because the first half of the cycle, you're not going to make any progesterone. So you're going to have a lot of that excessive unchecked estrogen. And then if you don't ovulate again or you ovulate poorly again, you're going to be spending that second half of your cycle when you should have been progesterone dominant, you're going to be estrogen dominant. Mm -hmm. And every cycle, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And then we're also bombarded by things like birth control, which are, you know, which is straight estrogen. We have estrogen in the water. We have estrogen plastics, you know, microplastics are everywhere. Everything's made of plastic and this is leaching into the water. It's leaching into the soil. Mm -hmm. And we also have, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of xenoestrogens, which are estrogenic chemicals that act kind of like estrogen in the body. So, mm-hmm. you know, you add that fuel to the fire mm-hmm. and you have this really state of just high, high estrogen in the body, which can lead to things like fibroids and PCOS and endometriosis mm-hmm. and, you know, ovarian cysts and, uh, you know, really heavy cramping, very heavy bleeding, mm-hmm. all of those types of things. Yeah. 
It's so eye-opening when you start understanding where how your estrogen can get so thrown out of balance so quickly. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad that you brought up xenoestrogens too. Like for those who are listening, that can often come from a lot of just environmental uh, factors and a lot of household products and things like that. There, can you explain what a xenoestrogen is for someone who's like, what does that mean? Yeah. So xenoestrogens are often made from petroleum-based chemicals. And, you know, petroleum is right now what makes the world go round. Mm -hmm. And so petrochemicals are often very estrogenic. So, you know, from breathing in gasoline fumes to, you know, Windex to, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these kind of chemical-laden household products, which is mostly about synthetics. I hate saying chemicals Mm -hmm. because everything is technically a chemical, you know, Mm -hmm. salt is chemical and everything's Mm -hmm. chemical, but I'm talking about synthetic petrochemical Mm -hmm. based products, which most of your common household names Mm -hmm. are petrochemical based products. And that's what, that's what the problem is. And so fragrances, things that probably Mm -hmm. don't seem very natural Mm -hmm. are probably not very natural and have these xenoestrogens in them. Yeah. And that to your body looks like an estrogen, but it's not right. Right. Like an estrogen. Is it molecule? Is that the right word? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an estrogen molecule, and and we don't really actually know. There's not a lot of research being done, and there's really not a lot of knowledge around does the body sense it as an estrogen or even worse than an estrogen. But Mm -hmm. there is some research that shows that women with endometriosis and other issues like Mm -hmm. that are very sensitive to these xenoestrogens and specifically PCBs. Mm -hmm. So we know that they're playing a a big role and some people are more sensitive than others. But at the end of the day, no matter if you have really bad PMS, moodiness before your period, or you have endometriosis, these xenoestrogens will affect you. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm such a huge advocate for cleaning up your products and your lifestyle in terms of the the ingredients you're exposed to every day because that toxin burden can just get so like can overflow so quickly in your body. Okay. Speaking of that, there's a couple more questions that I want to just touch on and then we'll wrap up. So we've talked quite a bit about nourishment and the importance of that, but you've used this word pro-metabolic. So can we just quickly cover what does a pro-metabolic style of eating focus on and what can that look like on a practical level? I know it's like a really, there's probably a ton you could talk about, but just for like those who are are not familiar with this term and who who have never heard of like supporting your metabolism and therefore your thyroid and hormonal health through food. Yeah. So it's so funny because over time it's kind of become this like pro-metabolic or pro-metabolic diet, but before it was just, you know, when I started in this industry, there was very nobody, really nobody talking about this. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, yeah, this is how we support our metabolism. So Mm -hmm. it has gone from supporting your metabolism to a pro-metabolic diet really quick. And Mm -hmm. I want to really encourage women that there is no pro-metabolic diet. Mm -hmm. There's no perfect style of eating you eat these foods, you don't eat these foods. That's Mm -hmm. not how it works. Mm -hmm. Supporting your metabolism looks a lot more like body awareness and starting to become aware of how your body functions, getting back in your body to stop disassociating from how things affect your body Mm -hmm. and just really start checking in. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, keeping the concepts that we talked about today in mind when you're selecting your food and really structuring your diet, you know, Mm -hmm. staying away from things like, like intermittent fasting and Mm -hmm. these more stress based principles in the health and wellness space and really going towards this place of nourishment where you're providing your body with what it needs day after day consistently. Mm -hmm. And you are always watching how your body is responding to those foods. Now there are some like quote unquote common pro-metabolic foods, lots of animal protein, like, you know, uh, beef and bison and Mm -hmm. shrimp and 
seafood and fish, things like that, dairy. And then there's the, the carbohydrates, which are the big one. You know, people love to argue about the carbohydrates, but on a basic level, our body does need energy. Some people need more than others, depending on what their lifestyle is, you know, if they're breastfeeding or pregnant or they're athletes or whatever they might be doing in their life. And you've got to take that into account, but it's very, very important to be getting enough protein, carb, and fat every couple of hours and avoiding these, again, these like very, um, industrial style fats or industrial style oils mm-hmm. that are uh, a result of this industrial revolution, you know, things like canola and rapeseed and soybean oil and these types of things. Mm-hmm. But we also have had this industry kind of leach into the health and wellness industry in regards to things like nuts and seeds where, you know, before humans would have probably gone and had had some walnuts when they were in season Mm -hmm. and eaten a few and moved on. Same thing with Mm -hmm. seeds. Whereas now we can buy these big bulk bags of nuts and seeds Mm -hmm. and we can buy these big bulk um, containers of ground up nuts and seeds and things like that. So we have to really think about food and think about where food came from and the history of food and how our body interacts with those foods you know food is just information for the body Mm -hmm. and so when we're trying to get our body out of this really stressed out state it's a good idea to focus on fats that really support that you know saturated and monounsaturated fats are what Mm -hmm. the body is mostly made up of and so that's a a good kind of thing to keep in mind is we should probably get most of our fats from saturated and monounsaturated fats Mm -hmm. and then when it comes to protein we need enough protein and we need enough carbohydrate and that's really what you know supporting the metabolism or pro-metabolic really is. It's about kind of moving away from supplements and understanding that you cannot out-supplement a bad Mm -hmm. diet or you cannot out-supplement the fact that you're not getting what you need from food Mm -hmm. and really start finding these creative ways to get the nutrients that you need from food and really go back to relying on real food as a foundation Mm -hmm. for your health. Yeah, that's so good. I'm I'm so glad you said that. I feel like I've really slowly started to become more and more of a supplement minimalist. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Not that there's not a time and place for some, but I think we, like you said, I think the trend so often is try to out is to try to out supplement so many deficiencies that really need to be first prioritized and met with food and nourishment, and then that's that's where it's like a supplement is meant to supplement, not replace all of your nourishment, you know. But I think it gets exactly. so easily. Okay, last yeah. question before we wrap up. You educate women on different things that they can do to track how their metabolism is functioning. Can you give us um, a couple examples of markers that we can use to kind of get insight into our metabolism? Yeah. So I usually recommend as basics is tracking your body temperature, which looks like when you wake up, you take your body temperature and see kind of where you're resting. And then uh, you eat your breakfast. And then about 30 to 60 minutes after breakfast, you take your temperature again to see how your body responded to that food. Mm -hmm. And then you maybe take it again, like around 1 to 3 p.m. That's really when our body temperature is going to peak in the early afternoon. And so you can kind of see where your metabolism is at by tracking that. And then what happens happens is, you know, the downside about just relying on body temperatures to track metabolic function is that you can create a lot of body heat using cortisol and adrenaline too. So mm. sometimes they can lie. And if you don't know, you know, if you, you don't know if you're stressed or not, and you are relying on adrenaline, you can be like, oh, my body temperature is great. It's fine. My metabolism is good. Mm. But then you start to take your pulse and you realize like, okay, I'm either running really, really high pulse, which is like, I would say optimal is anywhere from like, you know, everyone says like 75 to 85, but I, I say like, you can widen it a little bit. You know, everyone has a different, what's optimal 
for them. Mm-hmm. But if your pulse is like out of control at you know 99 or 110, mm-hmm. that shows you that you're running off of adrenaline. Or if it's really, really low, you know, some people are like walking corpses where their their body temperature is 95 in the 95s, their pulse rate is like in the 50s or the 60s, and they're really just their body's conserving energy. It's not using that energy to create heat. Mm-hmm. And the thing, the, the mindset behind body temperatures is when you use energy, well, you will create heat. And then with pulses, it's that, you know, your pulse rate or how your blood flows through your, your veins is going to bring oxygen and nutrition to the cells. Mm-hmm. And so let's say your, you know, extremities, your fingers and your toes are freezing cold. Mm-hmm. Well, that shows you that your body is keeping all of your blood pooled to your center or your core. And that is what's going to happen when you're running from an angry bear. Your body's going to keep all the blood for your muscles and your lungs because and your heart because you're going to need to run, right? Mm-hmm. And so these are some like very subtle signs where you can start to see like, oh, my body is conserving energy or my body's blowing through energy. You know, you can have these really high temps and these high pulse rates. And that shows you that your adrenaline is driving a a really excessive use of energy. So that is my, those are my two favorite markers, but you can also, you know, you got to watch your digestion. You should have a pretty regular and normalized digestion. If you're bloated all the time, that's a sign that your body's not moving food through the digestive tract very quickly. If you're exhausted all the time or you can't think straight, you know, that's a sign that the brain's not getting enough energy energy. Or if your moods are constantly up and down, you know, you jump from one mood to the other mood. Well, it's probably because you're, you're not in a stable place, blood sugar wise, Mm -hmm. blood sugar is the big thing behind everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I also really think it's important to track your cycle. So that the nice thing about taking your temps in the morning is you can use them for both things, you can track your cycle and your ovulation and then also be tracking your, your metabolism. Mm-hmm. And even blood sugar can be a great thing to track as well. But at the end of the day, we really want to look at our hair, skin, nails, our mood, our mental clarity, and how we're feeling overall, how we're sleeping, how our digestion is doing. Those types of things can be great metabolic markers as well, mm-hmm. in addition to temperature and pulse. Like, how do you yeah. feel in your body? Right. And I think that's that's the basic question here is like, how do you feel in your body? And most women are not in their body. They're disassociated from their body. So that's like the first step is get back in your body, reassociate with your body Mm -hmm. and start to focus on how foods and people and everything around you affects you on a basic level. Mm -hmm. It's so true. I think it's so easy to disassociate. And when you actually start paying closer attention and kind of getting back into your body, it's wild how many things you become aware of truly. (laughs) It's like the most eye-opening thing. Okay. Quickly, because I know this is going to be a question that we have. Can you give us a quick, like a quick recap? What temperature ranges are we looking for when we're doing that? Like what is considered like, this is a pretty good range. And then you said the pulse range too can be kind of wide, but um, just let's do a recap of that. And then from there, we'll wrap up. Yeah, yeah. So for temperature, your the first half of your cycle is going to be a little lower than the second half of your cycle because after you ovulate, your temperature should rise anywhere from like 0.6 to a whole degree. Uh, so usually everyone has their own kind of temperature range, but you really don't want to see it under, I usually say like 97, mm-hmm. um, the first half of your cycle. And you really want to be 97.6 and above the second half of your cycle. If you can get it up a little higher, that's great. You know, some people sit at 97.6 their whole cycle. And then after they ovulate, they'll actually move up to 98.2 or 98.3, 98.4. But there's kind of a range here, but we really, on a basic level, we want to be in the 90, the mid 97s mm-hmm. when we wake up. And then over the course of the day, we want to see that rise to a normal body temperature of 98.6. Gotcha. So the goal is by that, like, 
2 p.m., 3 p.m. reading, we're at 98.6. We feel warm. We feel content. We feel happy. We feel flowy. We feel like we can be present. We feel like we can just be. We're satisfied. We're not like, you know, hyperventilating and jumping through our day and that kind of thing. Yeah, so good. And then you said there was a somewhat wide pulse range, but what's considered kind of solid in that regard? Yeah. So in the pro-metabolic space, you'll hear like 75 to 85 is, is the ideal range. Now I've seen people that just big, they're all over the place, but I would say like keeping it in between there is good. And it's all contextual, you know, Mm -hmm. how you're feeling in your body. So you might have quote unquote optimal temperature or optimal pulse or both, Mm -hmm. and you're still feeling awful. Mm -hmm. That is important to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. So temps and pulses aren't everything. They can really help you get get insight into what's going on in your body. But at the end of the day, they're not everything. And they're just a great data tracking tool. Mm -hmm. And I also encourage women, like, don't get so caught up in temperatures and pulses that all you're doing is just trying, like, my temperature is low. I got to raise my temperature, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's more like just a data point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, usually like 75 to 85. Okay. Awesome. Super helpful. Jessica, this has been so good. I feel like I could ask you a thousand more questions. We covered a lot. We covered just so many things from supplements and nourishment to thyroid to how thyroid affects everything and all of the things. I feel like there's so much more, but thank you for everything you've shared. Can you point us in the direction for those who would love to learn more from you, maybe work with you, check out the resources you have? Where can we find you and where where can we learn more? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm primarily active on my Instagram at just cash wellness. I also have a website. If people are interested in reading more blog posts and things like that, there's a YouTube channel for people to check out more in-depth videos. And then I work with people primarily through my courses and my specifically my course fully nourished, which teaches all these principles in a very action-based step. So it rolls these principles out in three phases. So you can take these principles and actually turn them into action and implement them into your life. And we have this amazing community of a few thousand women that really help support each other and they're all on this journey together. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you for being here. I thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's so important and so necessary, especially uh, in our culture and the day and age we live in. So thank you for everything you've shared and for being here. It's been so fun to chat with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. I really, I really loved it. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content. And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. At Amica Insurance... We know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.